Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. This is a special episode in a couple of ways. First off, it is our 10th anniversary. It's our 10th episode of Three Yards Per Carry. And again, we are on the Five Reasons Sports Network with Ethan Skolnick and Chris Whittingham. And we would like to thank them for everything that they've done. But this is our 10th episode. It's a special one. And for the 10th episode, we're going to have a living legend on the show later on in the podcast. It's going to be OJ McDuffie. He's going to be on with Seth Levitt, and they are going to be previewing a special podcast called The Fish Tank that will be on the Five Reasons Sports Network. We look forward to it. We talk about this all the time. And, you know, I, I for one, am just giddy because I used to throw a bunch of touchdowns to uh, O.J. McDuffie on Tecmo Super Bowl three. And so now I get to actually, you know, talk with him. First off, we had a, a special wedding this weekend uh, over in uh, Simon's homeland. Uh, and I just want to know, you know, Simon, you have a new princess. Uh, how was the wedding? I assume you went, right? I was there. I mean, I was front row, obviously sat next to the queen or Liz, as I like to call her. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't really talk in an open forum too much about what this is, what royal weddings are like, because, you know, when you're on the inside, when you're in the inner circle, you, you know, a gentleman never talks. But suffice to say that Serena and George Clooney and myself were all hanging out until, you know, the early hours. So, yeah, it was nice to, you know, it was nice to be there i'm unsurprised to be invited david beckham and victoria we just kind of hung out and yeah one of those great things you know but I, I can't talk about it i really can't well that's interesting because i was talking to my wife last week and which you know which is rare you should get you should go on the podcast yeah right? <laughs> <laughs> but i was talking to her last week and she was saying i really like that that, that guy that simon he he has a really good storytelling good style you know, I like to hear his stories. And then the next thing that came out of her mouth was really, really, really interesting. She said, does he know Idris Elba? I know Idris Elba. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, she says Idris. And 
I assured her that all Brits know each other, so... Of course we do. So tell us, Simon. Tell us about Idris Elba. I have oh, met Idris Elba. you on the island, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, less than that now. I mean, you know, I have met Idris Elba, but I don't know him. I don't have an Idris Elba story. I do have general wire stories, if you want those. So as much of a letdown as that is for your wife, not having any information on Idris Elba. I have met a number of members of the cast of The Wire through my work with the BBC. Okay. Uh, Never meet your heroes is something they always say. And David Simon, the writer, creator of The Wire, never meet your heroes. That's all I'm going to say. Whereas Dennis Lehane and George Pelicanos, who co-writers, lovely guys. Dominic West, who plays McNulty, very, very nice man. Uh, very, very posh English accent. Um, but my favorite, favorite Wire person is uh, Clark Peters, Lester Freeman, the uh, the small furniture making policeman from season one who ends up being kind of yeah. stealing the, the five seasons of the show. Yeah. When I first met him, he came on a program that, that I was uh, I was producing and he arrived early and it was just after season four of The Wire and he just received the first script for season five. And so we were chatting for about 45 minutes about The Wire, about music, about all those sorts of things about the series. And he was wonderful in kind of telling all these different stories. And I had in my bag season one box set, which I'd had signed by... Dominic West and by Pelicanos and Lahane and David Simon. So as our chat kind of wound down and other guests started to arrive, I just pulled this, uh, I pulled the box set out of my bag to get him to sign it. And he just looked at me and he just went, you cheesy motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so here I was trying to defend myself going, uh, I'm really sorry. And he laughed and it was all very funny. And it was, you know, it, he wasn't being serious. Anyway, about 18 months later, I was down in reception at the BBC's broadcasting house, which is the kind of the, was the, the, the headquarters of, uh, of BBC radio. Uh, one of the most iconic buildings in London. It's been there for, for years where Winston Churchill made a number of his kind of war pronouncements during the second world war and things. So a huge kind Paddy. of, yeah, all Bryce Paddy. Absolutely. One of the kind of iconic buildings in, in, in England, really. And I was in reception waiting for a completely different guest. And I was kind of milling about and wasn't really paying much attention. And all of a sudden, from over the other side, and, you know, there were politicians, you know, presenters, all these kind of people. This is the, you know, the fulcrum, the entrance of the, the, the BBC. All of a sudden, from across the other side of the, of the building, I hear somebody go, hey, cheesy motherfucker. <laughs> and I look up and there is Clark Peters waving at me and walking over. Because he, he's clearly remembered this guy that pulled out a wire box out of his bag 18 months, two years previously, comes over for a chat. Absolutely lovely guy, but I shall always and forever be known as the cheesy motherfucker, which I'm, you know, he's, a, listen, he's a king. I'll take that from him anytime. Well, that's not going to, that's not going to go to bed anytime soon with us because, you know, obviously <laughs> we're going to have to start calling you a cheesy, a cheesy <laughs> motherfucker now. Um, well, let me say one thing that I do say cheesy motherfucker too and that's my computer when it breaks down and i don't know about you guys but when my computer breaks down i cease to exist really i just might as well just go for a walk or you know or just don't pay my bills and live under a bridge or something but you don't have to anymore because you could visit one of our sponsors and that's green light tech every sport needs a team same as in business that's why more small to mid-sized businesses in south florida are choosing green light tech the full service concierge it company that gets it right Greenlight Tech advises, monitors, supports, and keeps your important data backed up and secure. They'll even manage your vendors. Call Greenlight Tech at 561-325-9997. Mention this ad and get a free assessment. Sign up and your first month is free. 
Be unstoppable when you go on green. Visit greenlighttech.com. Now, Simon, in the second half of the show, we're going to have O.J. McDuffie and Seth Levitt talking about the, the fish tank, which is coming up on the network in mid-July. But, but he's got me all down now because he says, never meet your heroes. And, and yeah. I'm yeah. going to meet a hero. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well... Can I just say, by the way, that was one of the greatest segues I've ever heard in 24 years of broadcasting. You went from cheesy motherfucker into cheesy motherfucker computer into listen to these guys. That was absolutely world class. Thank you very, very much. I used to write this stuff for some really? of the highest rated shows in all of the United States of America. So, really? Yeah. So that, that if I can write it for somebody, I can say it into a microphone. That was OJ McDuffie-esque in terms of its quality. Listen, football is back. It was the first day of OTAs today in Miami, in Davie. No media involved at all, so it was a closed practice. But some of the snippets that went out on social media involved showing a healthy, knee-braceless Ryan Tannehill running out of the building. And then on Instagram, there's a few shots of him firing balls around, looking really good. But the biggest takeaway is no knee brace on that on that left knee which is which is fascinating given what they were um given how they insisted last season before he he re-injured the knee that he would play with the he'd play with the brace all season chris what did you make of it it was one of the first things that we said to each other that when we were talking about it you you put out the video and i'm like wait where's the brace is that is that really wise i i don't know um I, last I had heard, uh, and I heard from you know inside the building, his knee is you know right around ninety percent strength, and um, and they were trying out some you know new uh, you know newfangled knee braces, some high tech stuff, um, sort of some experimental stuff, and I thought that that's where they were going with this, but all of a sudden, he's marching out onto the field today, and I don't know if this was just a statement or you know a photo thing, um, but he had no brace on, and. Uh, that seemed a little bit questionable to me. I don't know. What do you think, Alf? Really, really shocking, to be honest with you. And I wouldn't say shocking that he was completely healthy and he looked fine running out there. It's common knowledge that most sports teams, after a guy has an injury, they require certain protections on that injury when they practice. As an example, the Miami Heat has a sleep policy. If you've ever had an, an injury on a knee or an ankle, you are required or you are fined to wear a sleeve during practice on that knee or ankle. He goes out there running out there without no no brace. I don't know. It seems odd to me. It'll be interesting because obviously we will hear tomorrow from Tannehill. He will step to the podium and I'm sure he will be asked those questions. Similarly, I was told from inside the building that the, the team are beyond pleased with his rehabilitation. It's gone way better than they expected. And the amount of hard work that he's put in kind of beggars belief, I think, in terms of what he's been able to do. Interestingly, I was also told that the, the worry about him is that he's almost too tough for his own good, which, you know, we always talk about pound for pound. He's one of the toughest players in the NFL. The, the beating he took behind some of those porous offensive lines we've had. But the, the fact that he has such a high pain threshold almost didn't almost hurt him last time around. And I, I kind of feel like, you know, in before the injury last season is what I mean. I kind of feel like it's very interesting that they are not insisting that he wears the brace on the first day. To me, that's fascinating because especially as they come out and said, look, we're concerned a little bit internally that maybe he's too tough for his own good and he kind of, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Well, you know, perhaps at the age of 30, coming off two serious knee injuries, perhaps just taking a step back and thinking maybe just a brace just for a little while. But he knows his body better than anybody else. And we'll find out tomorrow exactly where he is in terms of his rehabilitation, why he wasn't wearing the brace. So fascinating stuff. Well, we heard this before with his uh, with his rehabilitation, though, last year about, you know, when he 
he went out against the the Cardinals and he had that partial tear and there was even talk about oh is he going to come back for the playoffs and and there was a lot of that going on and at that time the stuff that was coming out of the building was how fierce uh, you know he was in rehabilitation how superhuman you know he is um that he's already you know he's already doing things that he shouldn't be able to do and that this this return within a month or so for the playoffs is actually possible now obviously the dolphins you know sort of thought better of it um, and they said no, but, uh, but we have heard this before. He is a guy that, uh, you know, as far as, I don't know what his body, cause, cause the knee did give out again and uh, without the surgery. So you can't say that his body is necessarily super because we have to see that we have to prove it. But you know, a- any man that cares about the level of moisture and his, uh, and his taint as much as he does, um, you know, probably rehabs, <laughs> probably rehabs, uh, quite a bit, uh, and really well. So um, it, I, I thought I thought it was fascinating to see him see him not go. But I'm I don't want to leave all the other stuff out here. Like Alf, what do you what kind of things are you going to be looking from OTAs? Uh, what kind of reports are going to you know pique your interest? Uh, what's going to interest me is how the the, the rookies look, and mm-hmm. uh, not only the rookies, but I want to see uh, you know how these guys came back from last year. I want to see what Devontae Parker looks like. I want to see if he's put on a little bit of weight. I want to see if, if Jakeem Grant's put on a little bit of weight. I want to see if Amandola's completely healthy because supposedly he had an injury in the playoffs. So I want to see if he's going to be running full speed, if he's going to be doing all the drills. And then I want to see what the defense and all these guys, all these guys that didn't play last year, like Raekwon and now Jerome Baker. Mm-hmm. I want to see what Robert Quinn looks like. Also, it's if you really look at it, look how many guys we're counting on that weren't here last year. So I want to see... What they look like together. Apparently, Raekwon's been looking absolutely fantastic. I'm told. I'm just, in fact, I'm just looking at a picture of him here from today with Kiko Alonso and Mike Hull. But all things point to the fact that he has been working, like Tannehill, working really hard. Is in great shape, and they just, I mean, they can't speak highly enough of him behind the scenes. I'm sure you guys have been hearing the same thing. It's it's fascinating. Oh, another thing that I think is going to be really interesting is if they have seven on sevens uh, to see Minka make the calls because mm. it seems like he will be making the calls because that's what Burke uh, alluded to or if they have Rashad try to pass them on to him and I want to see their rapport uh, I want to see the rapport between Minka and Rashad and I, I don't know if we're going to take too much from it on on alignments but if we see Minka in the slot a little bit uh, mm. that could be interesting also it could be a tell of what they're thinking. I saw a fascinating photo of Minka today actually and he was in fact I saw two photos of him and on both pictures he was stood right next to the coaches as if he was you know communicating with them making sure that he could hear everything do you know what i mean in terms of he wasn't stood with the other players he was right next to the coaches so there's one with matt burke and one with the db's coach and with tony um the guy from alabama Uh, tony odin of course and um he just thought he gets it you know we've said this before he just gets it i mean that's the kind of thing that you're looking to see so you know it'll be fascinating fascinating tomorrow as well when the media get there and they can kind of you know you can begin to build a little bit of a picture from what the guys like dave hyde and adam and uh, and joe shad uh, and those guys are seeing barry jackson those guys are seeing and hearing and feeling and you know and we'll hear from some of the players and we'll hear from you know i'm sure we'll hear from some of the defensive guys robert quinn perhaps perhaps a jordan phillips who's going to take on a more senior role on the on the defensive line without without and damakan sue and that will obviously be a bit of a talking point. And now, if you've got a bit of a bit of a bit of a steer for us on on Sue and and the Dolphins, yeah, I was able to confirm there was a, a Jason Lacanfora story that most of us, you know, poo pooed, I would say, and dismissed in February. 
But I was able to confirm that it was absolutely 100% accurate. The Miami Dolphins tried to trade Indomitian Sue in February. They tried to trade him specifically to the Los Angeles Rams. And they feel that the Robert Quinn deal was born from those talks. But they also feel burned from those talks because they expected to get a high pick, quote unquote, high pick swap for Indomitian Sue. Now that didn't happen. And now there's a little bit of bad blood in the building. They have heard the word... They got rolled in negotiations, and some people have said the T-word, tampering. Eesh. You know, uh, I don't know what you make of it, Chris. I think it's mostly sour grapes, but I think the Rams just, you know, it is business. It's not friends. It's, you know, it's show business, not show friends. You know what I mean? So they're not supposed to help us. I understand having good relationships with the other teams in the, in the league, but if they can do better for their franchise and not have to absorb that giant contract and have to give up a pick, for Indomitian Sue and still get him anyway, then more power to you. Now, if they were talking to Sue behind the scenes, which is what, you know, it's kind of been alluded to, but they can't confirm it. But if they were talking to him behind the scenes and trying to get him to finagle his way out of here so he could get himself onto that team without us having to get any compensation in return, then yeah, I got a problem with that. But I, I, I to be honest with you, I think it's mostly sour grapes of, you know, of how all of that went down. What do you think, Chris? I think a, a couple of things. I think, um, you know, everything, everything that you, you've talked about from, from their perspective and the things that they're saying uh, can be true, but they can also be BS at the same time. Like, you know, clearly, uh, the Robert Quinn trade could have been born out of the discussions uh, revolving around Indomitian Sioux. We saw that happen a number of years ago, Alf, uh, you and I and Simon. We saw that happen with Kenny Stills. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a trade that was born out of another trade negotiation that went south, that went wrong. Um, and so that happens. That's the way the NFL business goes. But, you know, this is this is the NFL, not a charity. I mean, nobody's going to... Nobody's going to give you picks because they just give a, you know, get along with you on the phone that well. Uh, these are 32 teams all trying to beat each other for one trophy. So I, I don't under, I don't really see the Dolphins' side on this, you know, as far as being uh, sour grapes and and when I hear them, you know, suggest the suggestions around the building that they got rolled in negotiations, you know, to me that kind of points in one direction with the organization. And as far as what people think. And so when I see the Dolphins try and, you know, inside the building, someone is trying to connect the Robert Quinn trade directly to the Indomitian Sioux failed negotiations and pretend that that's all, you know, that's all one thing. That's all part of, you know, we got Robert Quinn because because of these negotiations. I think that's somebody looking out for themselves a little bit. I don't. It seems a little bit. Um, it seems a little bit crafted to to make somebody look good or you know to protect against looking bad. Now, as far as what we're going to look for in these OTAs, and I, there are a couple things that I would look for. I think you brought up something interesting with respect to Minka uh, making the calls. We'd like to see that right away. Obviously, um, I want to see reports, and I don't know if they're going to be able to say this or not. 
of whether the 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 Dolphins defense are going into dime at all. Are they using six defensive backs? I mean, it's a pretty simple, you know, question to have answered if you watch practice the whole time. So I'll be looking for that. And but then I, I'm really fascinated with this uh, this idea of no huddle. And I don't know what you guys think about uh, the no huddle, but I know they talked about it a lot in the press conferences with the coaches. Dowell Logans talked about it. Um, they really made made it seem like this is going to be a thing that they're going to do hell or high water they're not really brooking excuses anymore um and it kind of brings up dredges up all this past with the no huddle and the fact that they tried it in 2016 but then they shelved it and then it seemed like they were going to try and get it going again in um in 2017 but then ryan Tannehill gets injured and and jay cutler gets in um I don't know what do you what do you guys think in general about the no huddle and its effectiveness and and Miami doing it in particular Simon I think it I think in the times that we've done it it's worked it, it tends to work you know when we need it when we're behind and we need a bit of a kickstart I can think of games certainly two seasons and three seasons ago when we were struggling offensively and all of a sudden it gives you a bit of a kickstart I'd like to think that we'll get out of the blocks a bit quicker in games next season and we're not forced into that situation. But I think it works pretty well. And also, it works really well at home, especially early part of the season mm. when it's hot. The guys will have practiced and trained. You know, the guys like Frank Gore and, you know, who are used to it, but also, the, you know, Kenny and Devontae are used to it. are used to it. I think Albert Wilson will take some getting used to it just because of the, of the very nature of the way the heat is coming from Kansas City. Same with Amendola coming from that cold sort of New England. But once they're up to speed, I, I think you, when you're able to run that system, and run that offense with that heat at home against teams that are not used to the heat, the humidity. I, I think it. I think it really suits what we try and do. I think it suits Ryan's mentality as well. Um, so I, I'm all for it. But if we're going to do it, do it. Commit to it. Don't you know? Do it willy nilly. I think if you're going to do something, do it or don't. Well, it's the simple. It's simple mathematics. It's it goes right back to the old basketball strategy. If you're not better than your opponent, you want to slow the game down and turn the game into as few possessions as possible, so you can grind a game out instead of overwhelm a team with your talent. In basketball, when you're much better than your opponent, you want to play at a higher pace because you want to play as many possessions as possible. Because the theory is. When your team is better, when you have more versatility to score, when you have more talent, the more possessions that you play, the more often you are going to come out ahead. Well, that's also the theory in football. If you play, if you run as many plays as possible with as many versatile characters you may have on offense, it gives you many more opportunities to find breakdowns on your opponent's defense. So if they can run 65 plays on average, yeah, of course, it's a, it's a great thing. Now, you got to be efficient, and the no huddle only works if you're efficient on first down. So hopefully they hit on it because the last time that they tried it, uh, they saw some uneven returns, and they completely scrapped it. And they scrapped it basically due to the, the personnel that they had on the team. That's an interesting topic to me because, uh, you know, looking at what happened in 2016 and really digging down into it, um, I was a little bit surprised at how much success that they were having in the no huddle uh, when they gave it up. See, they didn't really do it in the first game because that was on the road in Seattle, if you recall. And uh, Adam Gase is sort of showing a tendency to not do the no huddle on the road. Um, where there's, you know, a loud atmosphere and the possibility of miscommunications just, you know, multiplies. Um, but at home for two games, um, and I know we we're at home, Simon, you were at this, you and I were at this game against Cleveland. 
Uh, and in the New England game, you know, they they got behind right away. Jimmy Garoppolo, I believe that was the game that he just conducted an onslaught against oh. the Miami Dolphins defense. It was three touchdown passes or something like that right away. Uh, I remember the Dolphins inside the building, too, were even a little bit surprised. Like they didn't they didn't know that Garoppolo was that good. Um, so they got behind right away and then they start to try and come back. And so first quarter, second quarter, third quarter. You know, we're not talking about uh, the two minute drills or anything like that. They they did a lot of no huddle. And I remember in that game, they brought it back to the brink. I mean, it was it was really the game was sort of in question by the end. We we conducted a really big second half sort of comeback and everybody said it was garbage yards and stuff like that. But Alf and I, you we know we were looking at the defense that Matt Patricia was calling in the second half of that game. And he did not pull his foot off the gas at all. In fact, he was he was stepping on it. He was flooring it in the second half. He was yeah. He was calling a lot of things to try and bury the Dolphins in that um, that second half. And yet that no huddle just like killed them. It killed them. Ryan Tannehill conducting it, and then the very next week against the Cleveland Browns, uh, you know, really the same thing. The only problem is, you know, okay, this time he throws a bad pick. He throws a bad interception. Ryan Tannehill does. Um, to our pal Jamar Fletcher, or sorry, Jamar Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> um, to our pal Jamar Taylor, he throws a really bad pick, and, and, and it involves you know the communication at the line and trying to get everybody everybody on the same page, and then not having I, time to really ID the defense and see what he was doing there. I, I was really surprised that just after those two games, they scrapped it. And I, I don't want to second guess Adam Gase because obviously he brought us to a ten and six that year, and that roster to the playoffs and and it was great but um i was a little surprised that he scrapped it with ryan Tannehill. i mean if you exclude the final two minutes of the uh the half or the fourth quarter and we're just looking at no huddle you know first three quarters ryan Tannehill was like 18 of 24 for 278 yards three touchdowns and two interceptions in the no huddle he had 118 passer rating you know and when he was in huddle he had a 76 passer rating and those are the same two games that we're looking at. We're looking at the same thing. It's apples to apples. So, you know, I wondered about the fact that they gave it up. And I remember that uh, Clyde Christensen, the offensive coordinator at the time, cited the thing about communication taking away from Tannehill's ability to to look at the defense and identify stuff. And And I understand that's the explanation they went with. And there's probably a lot of things that were going on behind the scenes that we're just not privy to. But I think it's a source of potential upside and a really, you know, sort of uh, interesting one looking forward just because, yeah, Tannehill was really good in that no huddle. I mean, through, you know, it was 11.6 yards per attempt. And one of those interceptions that he threw, uh, his arm was hit from the inside while he was trying to check down underneath and the ball went wide to a defender because his arm was hit. I mean, it wasn't really, it wasn't really just him not knowing what he's about with the defense on that play. So I, I think it's a, it's a nice source of upside. It's something that I want to look for when I, when we're talking about OTAs and mini camps and training camp, I want to see them, you know, really make an effort with this and, and get everybody on the same page. It's fairly clear to me, just going back to something we talked about 10 minutes ago, it's fairly clear from these photos that Minka Fitzpatrick had an interception in OTAs today. Just going to nah. put that out there. Yeah. He's Rock clearly, Osweiler. he's clearly, well, could, could almost <laughs> or certainly, Betty. or Petty. <laughs> but, um, but he's clearly 
he's got a smile on his face and he's being chased by and you can see receivers kind of coming up across the field so he's definitely it's definitely a pick so what do you make simon about uh the no huddle uh do they have the talent is of course that possible? They do. we've talked about it before we, they, they definitely have the talent they can do it in so many different ways if they commit to doing it so i think it's perfectly suits what we can do especially with the you know we're five deep at receiver we're three deep at, at, at running back we're we obviously like Jasicki. smile smith is a, an interesting guy they clearly love derby as well you know there's still marquis gray out there who could play fullback can play tight end there's so many ways that they could set up so many ways that they could hurt to, as long as as long as gase is creative and i think he understands that he's going to have to be plus he gets the kid back he gets 17 back and so much it's so much is dependent on him but I, I would be running it and I would be making sure that we get teams off balance, we get teams gassed in the heat uh, uh, and we start to get up on teams so that they're chasing us rather than the other way around so that then we can, you know, start to play ball control with that with that three-headed run game. Yeah. I think you said it. You said it the best. You said if, if they're going to do it, then do it. Commit to it. Yeah. I, I don't want to hear, you know, excuses again and, you know, we can't do it because of this guy. You got a lot of third years in that offense now. You mm. got a whole, whole core of guys that have been and Adam Gase's offense, this is going to be their third year. A couple of guys that have been in their second year, and, and the first years are all guys like, you know, Albert Wilson, Frank Gore, Josh Satan, you know, guys that have been around the league. You got them specifically, Danny Amendola, you got them specifically for a reason they were, uh, they were so smart and so intelligent and such savvy veterans. This is why, you know, uh, I don't want to hear excuses anymore because – it can. I mean, I tell you, when they when they do go no huddle, it really saps the the defensive pass rush in particular. Tannehill didn't take a single sack the mm-hmm. entire year in 2016 while running the no huddle, whether it was two minute or, you know, their normal stuff during the first, second, third quarter. He didn't take a sack a single time, and it it really saps the pass rush. And I'm a big Adam Gaze fan, but if I hear him after a defeat again say, "Oh yeah, we tried to get the ball to Jakeem or we tried to get the ball to Kenny, <laughs> but we just kind of it just kind of got away from us," you're calling the plays, dude. How can it get away from you? You know, I'm a big Adam Gaze fan, but come on, I don't want to hear that. I'm serious. I don't want to hear that anymore. You know, you're better than that. You can't turn around and say, oh, we tried to get, but things weren't working or thing, you know, we, we didn't have the right this. We, well, you're in charge of the right this and the right that, you know, that that's really important. I don't, I don't want to hear that. that. I find that very, very frustrating. You know what he can do to make sure that everything goes right? Win. That is it. When we come back, we got to go to break now, but when we come back, we're going to have Seth Levitt and OJ McDuffie. They're going to talk to you about the fish tank. But first, these words. This week on the first ever edition of the Pitch Invasion podcast, we talk to the SI soccer writer, Grant Wall. Beckham has been so publicly involved with it that I don't think either side wants it to fail and not happen. But they see the demographics of Miami and how they've changed in the last 10 to 15 years and how it's even more of a, a South American community than ever. That theoretically should translate into success for a soccer team. It's been a chore for a long time, but at this point, I certainly think it's going to happen, but it's never as easy as you think it's going to be. Subscribe to the Pitch Invasion Soccer Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Chris Joseph, co-host of The Balls Cast. Some of you might have heard our earlier promos on this podcast and wondered, what in the whole fuck is Balls Cast thing all about? Well, Balls Cast is a comedy podcast about Miami sports, culture and politics and sex and food. You know, all the shit. 
that matters to those of us who call the 305 home. We also throw in parody songs and comedy sketches and invite the occasional cool-ass guests and my co-host Slim and I do all of this while completely baked out of our gourds. So, if you love Miami sports, but you're also into laughing and living your fullest life in this beautiful city we call our home, then please download Ballscast wherever you consume your podcasts. Then, sit back, relax, and enjoy the crazy. Now, listen to some fart noises. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Giancarlo Navas, and in this week's episode, we welcome Manny Navarro of the Miami Herald. It's the first time he's been on with us in the five years that we've been doing this, and Manny Navarro had some interesting things to say about Dion Waiters. The last time I saw Dion, I want to say it was like early March. He was hanging out in the locker room, and he looked like he put on a few pounds. <laughs> so I know you guys are all excited about that. <laughs> Great. Uh, it looked like he hadn't been running a whole lot, which, you know, I guess you could understand that considering he had ankle surgery, Coming but it did look injury. like he'd been enjoying, like, nachos or something. <laughs> Catch all that and more on the Heat Beat Podcast, now on the Five Reasons Podcast Network, and look out for a new episode every Monday until the NBA playoffs are over. You can check us out on Twitter at MIAHeatBeat for all the latest updates and info. This week on the Five Reasons Podcast, we're joined for another Heat Stories edition by the coach, Tony Fiorentino. Pat was always looking for motivational things. So we go in the locker room, a little small locker room in Detroit, and you got you got to picture this. Here you got the coaches in their suits. Pat Riley's in his shirt. He took his jacket off. And Tim Hardaway has his foot in an ice bucket with water. So Pat takes the bucket from Tim, and he says to the guys, you guys, who wants to put their head in this bucket? He says, Zoe, you're going to put your head in the bucket? Zoe goes, I'm not doing that. Tim? Tim says, no, I'm not doing that. Pat kneels down, he puts his head in the bucket. And I'm telling you, it is the greatest coach in the history of, of sports, and I can't tell you how long he had his head under there. We thought he, we thought he drowned. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> oh he lifts God. his head up, he pulls his, he pulls his hair back, and he goes, ah, isn't winning great. Subscribe to the Five Reasons Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. back and we do encourage you to listen to all the podcasts on the five reasons sports network and one we will encourage you to listen to in the very near future is going to be one featuring seth levitt and miami dolphin great oj mcduffie guys what's happening guys <laughs> hey what's going on guys so what have you got coming up guys what's to tell us about the fish tank what is uh What's the premise of it? What are we going to be hearing? Well, you know, guys, we, uh, OJ and I always talk about the fact that every time we get together, uh, we always end up telling great stories of the past. You know, we relive the past. Not that we don't have wonderful things going on and talk about our families and the kids, but inevitably we end up telling something that happened out on his basketball court or remember the time this happened in the locker room or this guy. And you start to realize that you just have this wealth of material uh, from the life that you've lived and, and uh, all of the characters that we've been uh, blessed to, to be around and, and thought that it would make some great content uh, for folks to hear because there's stories that people just don't get to hear normally. And how did you guys meet up? How did you, just for people that don't know, how has your relationship gone? How did it, you know, bear fruit as it were? Yeah, Seth and I, we go way back to when Seth was working in our, our PR department. I was still playing for the Dolphins back, uh, what did it say, the mid-90s, Seth? Um, yeah, 96 you know, was my uh, my rookie year. <laughs> yeah, some some good times in the, uh, you know, in the locker room. As a matter of fact, Seth and I used to run a live chat together, you know, from my yeah. office when I was still in the league and playing, you know, when 
before things like that were really prevalent around. And so Seth and I have been really good friends for a long time. We lived around the corner, uh, you know, always been really, really close. And, you know, when he uh, decided to leave the Dolphins and start working with Jason Taylor, you know, I, you know, I, I, I traveled with him. So I've always done a lot of things with Jason, <laughs> but usually it's because of big Seth. <laughs> you guys That's must be close. If Seth, if Seth, you were, you were at all those uh, legendary basketball games at uh, uh, back at OJ's? <laughs> Yeah, somehow, some way, I, I worked my way into those, and, and it certainly wasn't because of my talent or skill level, but uh, I had an opportunity to be a lot of those games and made sure I got there early, you know, so I could get on the court. But I uh, got to see some, some great ball and some bad ball, too, uh, and a lot of poor sports, but uh, some amazing stories that we're looking forward to retelling on the fish tank. For all the guys that have been tuning in and uh, to the Five Reasons Sports Network and all the different podcasts that Ethan and Chris are running, we've been running for a few weeks now, and uh, the, the three of us are friends and have been friends for for a very long time. But you guys got a sexy underwater photo shoot. We got absolutely <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing. Just want to put I don't know that if out sexy there. Is what we were going for, but uh, <laughs> you know, definitely had to put the PR hat on and and do some branding, and and I think that. Uh, you know, the reality is, and, and I think what Ethan and all of y'all have built uh, with Five Reasons has been really impressive to see what you guys have done. But we always like to do something with a little flair, and, and particularly with OJ being uh, my co-host. You know, it's got to it's gotta represent his brand and his style. And, and so we got our heads together and, and tried to get creative, and, um, and we had some fun with that shoot for sure. I th- Seth, I think you're trying to kill me in that shoot. I think that's what this whole goal was. <laughs> Definitely didn't want to kill you because then I lose my credibility on it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a fun shoot though, but it took a little time to get used to trying to hold your breath underwater. Meanwhile, but holding a yes, smile or you know you know stand stand below the waterline. There were a lot of things that I'd never done before, so it was interesting for sure. I'm glad uh, our man Serge got a lot of good shots along the way there. And the Zubas underwater, that has to be difficult. <laughs> I pulled those out. Yeah, I, I went, uh, you know, we talk about dolphin tails from the deep. Well, I went deep into the closet to find the Zubas. And that was, I, I that wasn't going to go with the Zubas, but Serge and OJ insisted upon it. That was back of the, that was deep back of the closet to get those bad boys out. <laughs> no questions. That was sweet. Very sweet. Well, I'm, I'm surprised you still had those. Sad. A lot of times when you get, when you get married, you got to get rid of things like that. You were able to hold on to yeah. them. <laughs> I'm just surprised they still fit. (laughs) Can I make a confession? When I was very, very, very young, my mom bought me a pair of Zubas. And I wore those things proudly as I watched you guys play. (laughs) (laughs) There was a time where you could be proud to wear them. Right. They were in. They were in at some point. They were in. (laughs) They were definitely in. I can proudly say. That was sideline gear. That was actually sideline gear at one point, which is incredible that they pulled that off. I can proudly say they never made it over here, which is a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Now, for for people that don't know, OJ has stayed in touch with the community. And in staying in touch with the community, he's a huge fan of all the teams down here. And I remember I used to sit in Section 126. OJ, you were in Section 125, am I correct? 128, 127. Yeah. 127, right, yeah, because right, right. you used to sit like right next to me. You were like wow. about, uh, I would say, my seats were actually better than yours, by the way. I don't know how that, that was possible. <laughs> okay. I can't get that many in one block, you know. I, I, take, I had to take those seats because I have as many seats I can get in one block. Yeah, but tell us a little bit of what you thought of this off season and this team and 
where it's going. Well, you know, I'm mean, I'm excited. I'm always excited about the Dolphins. I mean, like you said, I'm I'm a huge fan. Once I retired, you know, me, my my family, and all my best friends, you know, we all we all buy tickets. We had like 20 tickets in the first two rows and 127. Uh, we had those for a long, long time, uh, just because we were, you know, not just you know because I played, because we were definitely fans of the Dolphins, and and they had some really good years along the, along the way. You know, when I retired, you know. Zach and Zach, Zach and JT and Sam and Pat and all those guys were still playing and playing at a high level. And, you know, our offense was okay, but our team was still really good. So it was always fun to go out and, and support the team. So, you know, right now, you know, with, with Ryan Tannehill back at quarterback and, uh, you know, Adam Gates being, uh, I think, his third or third year now, I, I'm excited. I'm always excited about my team because that's my squad. But I think Adam Gates really believes, and I truly believe, that he has the right guys in the locker room. Guys are all going to buy in. And we all know from just from the teams that have been successful, you don't always have to have the best talent to be successful in the NFL. You have to have guys that buy in and do things the right way. And we've seen a team up in, up north in the Northeast that have done it the right way that way for a long time with what people always want to say is not is the best talent in the league. So I think that Gates has guys that are willing to let on the line, you know, uh, you know do, uh, do things for one another and be the right guys in the locker room. That always contributes to success. So every year I say the same thing. I think we're going to be a good team. And this year I, I, I say the exact same thing. I think we're going to be a rock-solid team. I think, you know, a lot of people underestimate us like they always do. This is something that interests me because you're obviously the best slot receiver in the in the team's history, I think, anyway. Uh, what what do you think makes a good slot receiver in particular? Because this is coming up right now. Of course, we lose Jarvis Landry. He's gone in free agency. And then they replaced him not really with one, but two, you know, uh, Albert Wilson yeah. and uh, Danny Amendola. So I, I, do you see anything in them or what do you think, you know, is the most uh, required, you know, the most highly required things for a good slot? Well, I think first thing you have to be is in intelligent. Intelligence is the first thing. You see a lot of things that happen on the inside as, as an outside receiver you don't have to worry about. You have to worry about uh, linebacker sometimes. You have to worry about uh, safeties down in the box. You have to worry about this guy blitz. Do I have a hot route? Do I have to block this guy? Uh, that's the first thing you have to worry about is, you know, if this play is called, this situation happens, what's, what's my reaction going to be? And that happens in, you know, obviously in a split second. Uh, that's, that's part of it right there. And then you have to be uh, very quick in the, on the inside. Things happen at a, at a warp speed, so you got to be quick. Not necessarily fast because you have to take your time to set guys up at times and, and to make plays like that. So quickness is always a must. And always toughness, toughness on the inside because you're going to take some shots. Or you might have to block guys that are bigger than you. You might have to, you know, come down and block linebackers, defensive ends at times. And so there are a lot of things that go into, you know, being a slot receiver to make you successful. But play after play, everything changes, and you have to be ready to to adapt and, and make those changes and, and make it work for your team. Juice, do you think there was an over-reliance last season and the season before on Jarvis Landry? Obviously, he's not here anymore. But do you think that the Dolphins just, you know, and obviously he was a very good player, and therefore you do tend to look to, to the very good players, especially in critical moments. But do you think the offense became rather narrow because of the fact that we continue to look for Jarvis? And actually this year, without him there, and with Stills and with Jakeen Grant and with Amandola and with Devontae Parker and now Jasicki as well, that actually that things might be able to open up and you're not quite going to know where the ball's going this season, whereas last couple of seasons you knew that Jarvis was guaranteed sort of 10, 12, 14 targets a game. Yeah, well, you always want to get the ball in your best player's hands no matter what. I don't, I don't know what the situation is. You know, If the, the Bulls were 
you know, going to win a game, you know, you you hope the ball goes to Michael Jordan's hand back in the day, and same thing with teams like the Cavs. But and that's the way uh, Jarvis was for our team. You know, you always want the, the the ball to go through his hands. But I thought they should have, you know, shared the wealth a little bit more than they did. Um, you know, Jarvis's numbers in terms of the number of catches and targets were great, but the yardage wasn't as good because, you know, he, they knew teams keyed on him. And I think that happened to Danny and I a little bit late in my career where, you know, they knew the ball was coming my way, you know, so there you know, was two or three guys in, in my area, but, you know, always got to make a, make a play. But there's some other guys as well to step up and make plays. And what happens is a quarterback gets used to a guy that's going to, you know, make plays for him. The guys that were given other opportunities didn't make plays, so the comfort – comfortability wasn't there. Jay Cutler trusted Jarvis more than he trusted anybody. And that's why you get more opportunities. You know, it took a long time for me to get that same, you know, trust and the trust factor with Danny when you had guys like Urban Fryer and Keith Jackson and Keith Byers that he knew they were going to be where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. So once you get comfortable with the receiver, you know, you're going to get a lot more targets. And I I think they did count on him a lot more than they, they probably should have. But I think they needed him because other guys didn't step up for him. Now, you've stayed in touch with Penn State football all, three, all these years, have you? Always. Always, always. Blue and white till the day I die. Okay. <laughs> what do you make of Mike uh, Jacecki? I love Mike. You know, Mike, uh, when he came along at the beginning as a young guy, he was, he was smaller in terms of he didn't have a lot of weight. You know, he used to jump and not high point balls. And, you know, we used to talk about him a little bit, you know, in my living room when we watched every Penn State game. But his last couple of years, he learned to use his body, his size, his leaping ability, his speed uh, to, to, to really become a huge factor for, for, for Penn State in the red zone, in the end zone, you know, in big third down situations. He's a guy that really doesn't need to be open to be open with his leaping ability and his height. Uh, so he's a, he's, I'm, I was excited about that pick. You know, when we went to, went to day two in the draft, I was hoping we'd get get Mike when I knew he was available and sure enough when the when the commissioner or Troy or those guys made the call uh, I was I was very happy and Mike's gonna be a huge addition to our team because that's what this game's coming to you know you got athletic tight ends that can run and you know block when they have to and, and make plays uh, that's what it's all about and, and quarterbacks love them you know think about a seam route over a five you know five ten DB is trying to guard him. It's, it's an easy target for, for a quarterback, and I think Ryan's going to love the relationship that he's going to develop with Mike. Uh, we're all going to love what he can do in the red zone. Now, something that has always been curious to me is because, especially for the last, I don't it's got to be four years or so, we seem to have a trouble in Miami with fast starts or really slow starts, I guess, is the trouble. Um, what do you need? Like, what's most important to get off to a quick start on offense? Is it going no huddle? Is it you know, diversifying the ball to more people than just, you know, Jarvis Landry. Uh, what do you think is there as far as, far as getting started and getting uh, getting going right away on offense for the Dolphins? Because it's, it's pretty important. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. It's a huge deal. Uh, the good teams always seem to get off the fast starts on offense and defense and put teams in holes uh, right away. You know, you get a team that goes down and scores, and then, you know, your defense gets out gets a stop. Defense go, your offense goes back down and gets the score. Or put yourself in a good position. I, you know, if I had that answer, I'm sure the Dolphins would have beat me to it already. So <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea why our team has always been such a slow starting team and you know not scoring a lot in the first quarter. Uh, you know, it's all about execution. A lot of teams script plays right away. They want to you know look at their first 10, 15, 20 plays and see how the defense reacts. Uh, sometimes that ends up in a three and out. And then you try to go with the next group of plays, and that ends up in a three and out. Next thing you know, you're you know you're in a you're in a hole. I think the fact that good teams go out there and they execute those first few plays uh, so nicely, 
you know, that they give themselves a better chance of scoring early, and then that gives you a little bit more momentum, and you have have the defense on the heels a little bit more. Uh, our team hasn't been able to do that lately, and they haven't been able to do that for the last few years. And it's imperative that they find a way to get off the better starts uh, and put teams on their heels a little bit, force teams to do something they don't want to do. You know, teams play a lot differently when they're when they're ahead. Obviously, as you guys know, than they are when they're behind. And our team plays from behind way too much, and we the last couple of years weren't built to come back from league from from deficits deficits like that so i think it's important for us to get out play from play from ahead and be able to run the ball and, and pick and choose we want to pass it and uh, and play our offense and our, our our scheme that way oj if you were if you were ben johnson the new dolphins wide receivers coach what what would you be looking to do what would you be looking to improve with Devontae parker who seems to have everything in terms of the size the skill set the hands but mentally perhaps just doesn't obviously he's been frustrated with injuries but Mentally, perhaps he just feels a little bit let down at times. What what would you be looking to do to try and get the best out of this kid, especially as he enters, you know, what is his final year of his contract with Miami? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is we got to find a way to build his confidence and uh, you know let him figure out how to you know go out there and play hurt and not injured. You know, injured for hurt is really is the truth out there about players going out there and you know fighting through some some tough some tough pains and things like that. Uh, I, I would never encourage anybody to play injured. Injured means that you need to require you know, weeks or, or months off or surgery or something like that. But, you know, some of the small nagging injuries or, or, or hurts, a lot of guys have things like that. It's been tough to get Devontae out there, you know, when he's a little bit hurt or a little banged up, which uh, most of the league is, you know, <laughs> really from week three, four on, most of the team's already a little banged up. Uh, so, but when he's out there, man, he's been dynamic. And I think that's the whole key is find a way to keep him on the field but in order to get out there, you got you got to practice, you got to work through a lot of little little things, and and, and be a little bit tougher. Uh, I love when he's out there; he makes great plays and, and really good decisions. But bottom line is getting him on the field and and, and fighting through a few things. Now, OJ, last week on the on the pod, I don't know if you listened or not, but we were anticipating having you on, and we got into it a little bit. And I would say that two of us here are pretty big fans of yours. But uh oh, won't name the two. Uh, no, we I want. Yeah, name. I want to know the other two. I want to know the other one. That's all right. Yeah, but <laughs> but one. Well, of I did us... listen to that pod, so I'm glad you guys brought it up. I was waiting to see that. Uh, okay. But too. one of us, <laughs> one of us who has a very distinctive accent, and it's not a Cuban accent, by the way. So I'll leave myself out of it. Actually, thinks that Jarvis Landry was better than you. Can you please explain mm. to our co-host why you were better? Can I just preface this by saying that I was a massive, <laughs> massive fan of OJ's at Penn State, was ecstatic when the Dolphins drafted him, and I had a, I had both a Penn State 24 shirt and a Dolphins 81 shirt. I'm just going to put that out there. Whilst no, my that's two, not going to help. That is not going to help. Whilst, <laughs> my, whilst my two dude, friends in inverted commas sell me down the... Seth, save me here. My two buddies, can I come and join your podcast? My two uh, yeah, mates, listen, good luck to you, man. <laughs> my two mates just sold me down the river there. They really do. Yeah, on black. They really that's, right. that's what it's all about. That's what friends do, right? That's exactly <laughs> well, what friends do. Hey, I'm a huge friend of, a fan of Jarvis myself, and I think that he's definitely a, a, a huge talent in the league, and he's going to do some really, really good things up in, you know, up in Cleveland. I, I think that, you know, this day and age, man, I think that all the receivers are a little bit better than some of the guys that were their predecessors. You know, I don't know if, you know, I think Jarvis and I do a lot of the same things, but, you know, Jarvis is a little bit quicker, a little bit stronger, a little bit bigger than I was, you know, and I thought his, he had a little bit more of an attitude, you know, well, he, 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 he didn't, I control my attitude a little bit better, I think, that he, he did. <laughs> uh, 
but I think that Jarvis is a heck of a talent. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give the nod to myself only because it's myself. But I think Jarvis is one <laughs> heck of a football player. Now, let me ask you something, OJ. That morning when you woke up and you had your breakfast or you went out to breakfast or, or anything and you looked at your phone and you looked at your ESPN app or you turned on SportsCenter and you saw that Jarvis Landry got $75 million. <laughs> what was the first thing that went through your mind? Well, you know what? That's what he wanted here, and we wouldn't give it to him, you know. And I'm all for players getting getting their money, you know. And people always ask, you know, what is Jarvis worth? Or what is this person worth? You know, you're worth whatever somebody's willing to pay you. And obviously, you know, the Dolphins and Phillies worth 15 a year, and the Browns did. And so I'm happy for him. I really am because you put in that work, you put in all that work, you know, to 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 get to your next contract. And, and, and make yourself pretty much set for life like I think Jarvis has done right now. And, and that's, what, that's what it's all about. Now you can go out there and focus on playing the game. So many guys worry about their finances and, you know, this, this contract or, or, or this endorsement deal. Once you get that money, hopefully you go out there and the next thing you do is just focus on football and winning football games. And the most important thing to me is, you know, winning championships. Well, speaking of putting your mates on blast, Seth, this one's for you. Uh, I got I to gotta ask you, since you were at those, uh, you, those basketball games, you know who sure. who do you, who was the best out there and who was the worst? Oh wow! <laughs> you know I, it's great that you bring that up too because that's certainly going to be a topic of conversation on the fish tank. Um, <laughs> and, and there was it was unbelievable those games and the talent and uh, I guess if we just said the best basketball player who ever walked out there, uh, you know OJ and I would agree upon this is that we were out there playing one day and JT rolls up with Scottie Pippen. And Scotty yeah. comes out and starts running. And, and so I, I think right there, that's a mic drop, as we like to say. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's hard to deny when you have uh, someone like Scotty Pippen coming out on the court. And, and, and then people just kind of showed up, too. So I don't even know where it came from. But next thing you know, there was a crowd of people watching Scotty play. But uh, if you're talking about former Dolphins, there were a lot of them. And certainly, I got yeah. you know, my, my guy, Jason Taylor, I, I have to give a lot of a credit to, to his game and, and just the way he plays and, you know, being six, six and long and, and having a little nastiness to him as well. But there's a guy that we're going to talk about on the fish tank and it might be a little bit of a surprise to folks, but there's somebody out there that probably yes. would be OJ's number one pick as well. And I don't know that I want to put his name out there yet, uh, but he is not someone you would expect. And, and I don't know that he ever lost while he was out there. Master I'm going to put his name out there. I'm going to put his name out there. His, <laughs> his name it, is Mark it. Dixon. His name is Mark Whoa. Dixon. He was an offensive lineman. And he was yes. a beast of a basketball player. You put he a big really guy was. on him, he was too quick for him. You put a little guy on him, he was too big for him. He could dunk. He could dribble it. He could shoot the three. He was, he was unstoppable. Matter of fact, got to a point where JT was begging to play on his team, wasn't he, <laughs> He was. That's why I wanted you to tell that story, though. Yeah, Mark was really a hell of a player. Uh, he he yeah, was. was. And it was – the crazy thing was is that if you remember following Mark's career and you guys all have followed the team, you know, Mark was – I don't even want to call him a modest football player. He was almost scared. You know, he had a bad experience when he first came into the league and was cut. And, right. and he, every day – CFL, I think he went up to Canada. He went yep. to Canada. He was he was mowing uh, grass at a golf was, course yeah. for a while, yeah. and and so he every day checked his locker and thought he was going to get cut. And uh, even though he had become, especially once Richmond retired, he had become the best offensive lineman we had on the team. But he was really terrified of every day being his last. But if you brought up basketball, 
he might have been the cockiest guy. And he said he would tell OJ, he said, Juice, you better tell him to get a hand in my face as soon as I pull into your driveway. That's he, right. He, he sure was, did. He was like a whole different guy. And he would man, run and he used to win. He, yeah, he won six games, win six games, and go home, man. Right off into the sunset. Yeah, he said that. He, he got me pumped. Oh, I want yeah. him back on the team now. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He was, athlete, great high, he was a great high school basketball player, though, wasn't he? He was actually recruited to play basketball out of high he school. He was recruited to play basketball. Yeah. You're exactly right. And that's his first love. He just uh, he felt that he could make a career playing football. But he had better opportunities playing basketball as far as college, uh, college opportunities than he did in football, uh, which is pretty incredible because he still went to University of Virginia. But listen, uh, guys, Mark, Mark could really play. Listen, guys, I'm going to get you oh, to trail. Yeah. I'm going to get you to trail the uh, the fish tank in a sec. I, OJ, I just want to ask you one more question. Uh, it's a kind of a, a true or false question, really. I, I, is it true that you fell asleep during round one? of the draft the year that you were drafted because you were so bored or is that just an urban myth? <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't call it boredom. I, I would say that <laughs> see, see, here's the thing. You know, our, our draft was on Sunday afternoon at noon uh, compared to what the, what they do now in the prime time on Thursday, the big, you know, big production. <laughs> that wasn't the way we did it back then. And I even heard some yeah. older guys like Greasy talk about, he didn't even know he got drafted until he went to lift weights the next day. You know, wow. <laughs> it's like the way it's changed, the way people are notified now is just second. It's, it's unbelievable. But so what we'll see, we did it the same weekend. Penn State had the like blue white weekend, big party weekend back at school. You know, I was done with school. So I was actually hanging out at Penn State all weekend. And I drove to Cleveland that early that Sunday morning. And I was so exhausted. That's why I wasn't bored. I knew I wasn't going to be the first overall pick. And I knew it wasn't going to be the 10th overall pick. So I had a little bit of time to rest up when my phone was going to ring and so I, I got my rest in a little bit so yeah i had a I had a nice little nap until about the 20th pick and uh you know i, I thought i was scheduled to go around 22 to san diego and once 22 didn't happen for me i was looking at 23 24 and you know and i was i was wide awake at that point and i had to talk to my <laughs> I was, so i was like i was worried am i going to drop out of the first round at all you know we Think about it now. There was only 30 teams back then. I think there were no mm-hmm. Jaguar, Jaguars and no Carolina Panthers at that point. So I was running out of time in the first round. Um, but fortunate for me that, that you know, Coach Shula called me when I was wide awake and uh, asked if I wanted to be a Miami <laughs> Dolphin. Sure enough, man, it worked out great. I heard Buffalo was taking me to number 26. So, man, oh, Ooh. man, am I lucky that I got that phone call from oh, Coach. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm wouldn't have had any <laughs> underwater pool shots, Juice. No, it'd be, it'd be polar bears. Even the snow or something. Yeah, That's exactly. it. <laughs> Anytime we can screw the Buffalo Bills over is always good with me. Always. Seth, uh, always. Seth always. give us, a, um, give us a, a trail again for, for, for the fish tank. Tell the guys again what's coming up, when you're starting, and, and what we're going to hear. Well, we're looking to launch the show in mid-July. Uh, the guest list that OJ and I have lined up is a really exciting one. It's, it's guys from really every era. Uh, of, you know, if you follow the Dolphins, almost every era there, there's been players that you've listened to in life and have great stories to tell. And they, none of them are saying no to OJ, which has been fantastic. And uh, we're, we're just going to have conversations, and hopefully the listeners feel like they're hanging out with us and hearing stories they haven't heard, and they're entertained and they're thought-provoking. And, you know, we're just looking forward to having a lot of fun with it and sharing these stories with the folks who have cheered on the Dolphins for years. I'm hoping Mark Dixon is going to be one of your guests. I oh, already have it. put a call in, but he is underground, man. <laughs> but, you know, if we, if we tell him he can talk basketball, I think he'd be awesome. He was one of the best quotes that we had on that team for a long time. He was. He absolutely was, man. And uh, Mark, Mark's the guy 
that, uh, like you said, Seth, he's quiet, but a, a great leader, yep. but one of the funniest guys on that team, man. Uh, he, it'd be, we'll, we'll, we'll work on digging him up and, and make sure he dives in with it. Guys, it's been great. We've really enjoyed having you on. Good luck with the podcast. I'm sure we'll speak to you again uh, before it goes out and then once you're up on air. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks Thank for you. your time, guys. And congrats on your show. You guys are doing great Absolutely. work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks a lot. guys. Keep it up, guys. It. Thanks, guys. That was Seth Levitt and OJ McDuffie. The Fish Tank, as you heard, starts mid-July. It'll be full of great stories. Sounds like it's going to be full of great guests, including Mark Dixon talking about his basketball antics, no doubt. That's it from us this week. We will be back next week, as always. There will be more news at the OTAs. Ryan Tannehill steps to the podium to talk to journalists for the first time since his injury against Arizona about 14 years ago. So we'll have all that. Don't forget... Five Reasons Sports Network, all the guys, all the great stuff that Chris and Ethan do, not just ourselves, but the Bulls cast, the Heat Beat, all the other different things, you can find them, but it will definitely be there at Five Reasons Sports. They'll be your guys for all the information of South Florida sports. We will be back next week. Chris, Alf, and myself, see you then. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.